It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Well, good morning to all of you. Uh, it's just, uh, isn't it exciting? Just like, this is the day the Lord has made. Uh, the creator of the universe has set forth a day in front of us, and we get to walk in it and discover who he is in it. He has uh, work prepared before us uh, for us to walk in and to do by his grace. So let's uh, just take a strong step forward this morning. Let's start with prayer. Father, shape us and mold us by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we understand you in a greater way, see you more fully, understand your word more clearly. Lord, teach us to pray. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, this is building on uh, what we discussed yesterday in Daily Thunder, which was uh, the rope and the shovel. If you remember that, we were talking about how prayer works, and the mechanics of prayer are uh, significant and important, and so this one is called the agony of barrenness, which is somewhat of a strange uh, statement, Uh, yet you're going to see that scripturally speaking, this is of uh, dynamic importance, Uh, and it really might help you understand even a lot of the dynamic of how you grow in faith and how you grow in prayer. Because a lot of us have a tendency to complain about the manner in which God grows us up. We just don't prefer uh, any difficulty. We don't prefer suffering. Uh, We prefer ease and comfort. And yet, God's chosen means of growing up his saints, just like his chosen means of making an oak tree strong, is through winds and rains. Uh, The way he produces diamonds in and through extreme pressure. It's like, what? Well, I don't like that. Yeah, none of us prefer it. Remember, there's a natural man position, a natural man way of looking at things, and then there's a spiritual man way of looking at things. And it's our job to learn to have the mind of Christ, to actually transition from the first into the second mentality, the second way of thinking and living. We don't want to think like Saul. We want to think like David. We don't want to think like someone who is a law keeper, as someone who is a grace... uh, Keeper. That sounded funny, a grace keeper. I've never said that before. This is a new term I just invented there. <clears throat> Persistence, which is what we talked about yesterday. Uh, when we were talking about throwing that grappling hook up into the heavenlies and grabbing a hold of the promises of God and then pulling, and then pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling, how long do you pull? Well, you pull and you pull and you pull and you pull until that which is in heaven comes to this earth. And that is why the spirit and the bride say, come. We say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we say that until that which is in heaven is realized down here on earth. And so we also gave the illustration of the shovel. And we're digging and we're digging and we're digging because why? There's a promise. God promised that there's a treasure beneath our feet. So we dig and we dig and we dig until, kink, kink, we get to that treasure. And we don't stop until we do. Many of us have failed to continue in prayer. And you know, somewhere along the line, the devil starts whispering, it's like, well, obviously, you know, God doesn't want to do this. And the question is, is it a promise of God or not? If it is, then we will not relent until we find it. So persistence, I'm going to call it the essence of fervent prayer. 
So there's a difference between prayer and fervent prayer. And we see in, the, in James, it says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It accomplishes much. It achieves mighty things. But it's a fervent prayer that does that. A fervent prayer is a prayer that will not let go. It will not stop. It will not relent. Fervent. It has heat to it. It has desperation to it. You see, many of us just sort of throw up prayers. It's sort of like, in God, you know, if you want to do it, no, that'd be great. There's a difference between that and a fervent prayer. A fervent prayer is, God, I can't live without this. Without this, I cannot survive. So there's a very different nature and disposition to a prayer and a fervent prayer. A fervent prayer has fire beneath it. It has motive, strong motive, strong desire, strong yearning behind it. And so there's a difference between how you grip the rope. If, if you were holding onto a rope, I said, hey, hold this end. And then I yanked it from you. It just came flying back at me because you didn't hold it firmly. You weren't expecting. You're like, whoa, whoa, what was that? And I said, I want you to hold it. And if you lose hold of that end of the rope, you die. And then I start pulling. Well, what are you going to do? You're like, whoa, I'm going to die if I lose this end of the rope? Yeah. Well, then you're going to hold on to it for dear life. Yeah. Fervent prayer. In other words, fervent prayer knows that without the answer of God, without the substance of God coming to this earth, we're lost. We must have that. Without it, we can't continue. Mm -hmm. See, if we were to measure the heat index on your prayer life, right now we might find that it's a little low. But it's not because you're just choosing. It's like, yeah, I'd like to have a low heat index. It's just that mainly you haven't had a reason. You haven't seen truly how important prayer is. You haven't seen that without God's answer, you cannot survive. See, until you begin to recognize that this is a life and death issue, and we have been put in a position where we are supposed to reach up and grab, and yet God is, it's sort of like being a starving man, and there's a glass of water in front of you, and you're like, a thirsty man, a man dying of thirst in the desert would be a lot better than a starving man. A thirsty man, you're like, oh, Oh, I need, I need water. I need water. And then it's like, well, it's out there. Are you going to reach for it as if it is your life? You see, God's saying, I've given you my promise. You thirsty yet? You thirsty? I'm thirsty. Then reach. So what the prayer, the movement of prayer is, it's the reach for what God has said he's supplied. Do you believe he has it? Do you believe he has the answer? Yes. Then go after it. Go after it as if he truly does have what you need. So the lessons from yesteryear. So in Mark 2, we have an interesting scene. We have a scene where there's a paralytic man. Uh, We're not exactly, he's a man sick with the palsy is what we know. In other words, his body isn't functioning, like his legs don't move properly. Okay, so all these other people can come to Jesus and be healed, But this man can't. Why? Because he can't walk. And you're going to notice that in the body of Christ, there are sometimes there's people that can just, like for instance, even in here this semester, there's some of you that are just going to be able to catch what is being said. You're going to get it. And there's going to be a person next to you, and maybe that's you, you're the person next to them, that is just sort of like, how come come they get it and I don't? You could even be better educated, right? But it's not an issue of education. It's an issue of, what particular ailment you suffer from. For instance, if you have a withered arm, you can walk to Jesus with your withered arm, and he can touch your withered arm and heal it. 
But if you have withered legs, you can't do that. What do you need? You need to be carried. None of us like to be carried. There's a dignity issue here. And so we'd much rather have the withered arm than the withered legs. I don't want to have to be carried. And yet that's part of what God wants to do in you, and, and it's such a gift. There's so many people, even in this story, that are never mentioned. You don't know who they are. But then this guy with the, the greater ailment, if you want to say it that way, suddenly the, the camera lens of God zooms in and picks up on it and says, hey, look at this. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, this is Jesus is speaking of, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come near unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed. And go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. So we have this very interesting story in history past where Jesus is in a healing mode. He's in a house, and all these sick people are surrounded, so much so that you can't even get in. And now there's... These four, I always picture them as four men, but they could have been, this could have been women, just as four. And they're carrying this mat with this man who cannot walk. And yet they can't get through the crowd. And so what do they do? Do they give up? Okay, now I just want us to stop there and recognize that this is a picture of fervent prayer. You see, it's operation, get this man to the feet of Jesus. Now, whatever you're carrying, whatever your burden is, because that's what this is, this is a burden, and these four are carrying a burden. And it's a burden that God cares about. However, there seems to be all sorts of hindrances. There seems to be all sorts of blockades. It's not just easy to get that man to the feet of Jesus. Welcome to prayer. This is precisely what it is like for us. In other words, we have a burden. God gives us something, and we're like, okay, God, why is it that I have this huge mob of people and I can't get through? We're carrying this, and it's heavy. So a lot of people at that point set down their burden and say, well, sorry, dear brother, uh, but we're going to have to leave you here. And maybe someone else can help you in the future, but this looks like it's as far as we can go. And yet that's not what happens in this story, which is why the lens of Scripture focuses in on it and zooms you see, God's saying, you don't want to miss this. You remember the girl in her treasure? We talked about Mary of Bethany. What's God doing? He's like, hey, bring the cameras over here. I want you to capture this. The Bible is very limited in the stories that it captures. So when it captures a story, we take note. And so in this story, we see God bringing in the camera crew. And we said, I want you to catch what these four are doing. They're carrying a man sick with a palsy, but they're carrying him with fervency. 
So what we need in our prayer life is what these four have. They don't give up. I mean, they have every reason to set them down. I mean, this is heavy. Okay, guys, I mean, look, we can only carry this for so long. And we have a crowd, we can't get in. Sorry, buddy, but this is as far as we can take you. We took you, you know, it could have been a mile that they walked with them already, right? It's like, hey, th this is as far as we can take you. And hopefully Jesus will, you know, come and find you from here. Instead, what they do is they climb up onto the roof, break through the roof. I don't know if any of you have ever thought of doing that to get inside of a house. I mean, that is one of the craziest models of entry I've ever heard of. But that's the desperation that you see inside of them. You see, imagine that you are, that the four that are carrying are a mother, a father, and two brothers. And they know that there is one that can heal them. And they have such a deep love for their brother who is sick with the palsy. And they know his agony, they know his pain, and they know Jesus is in town. They have a burden, and it's a real burden. See, you know that a mother has a burden, right? You know that a father can have a burden. You know that siblings can have a burden. But do you know that Christians are meant to have a burden for what burdens God's heart? And so are we willing to have that same fervency that a mother and a father would have for a child? And that's the way we nurture the burdens that God gives us. It's like, this has to get to the feet of Jesus. And so we literally climb up onto the roof. I know, it seems, have you ever noticed that every single illustration I've given so far of prayer seems rude? Like, remember the, the, the neighbor, it's like, kink, 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 on the door. It's like, please, just stop knocking. We don't do that in America. We don't get someone up, up out of bed in the middle of the night for a loaf of bread. Okay, this is a bad idea. Kink, 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 kink. And Jesus says, yeah, like that. How about the persistent widow tugging on the, the judge's shirt sleeve every single day? Hey, remember me? Remember me? Remember me? Remember my situation? Remember me? Remember me? It's like, oh, that's rudeness as far as we're concerned. Well, last time I checked, getting up on someone's roof and, roof and banging a hole through it falls into the same category. And yet this story is being told with such high, lofty sentiments. The scriptures are presenting that what these men are doing to get that one sick with the palsy to the feet of Jesus is faith. I'm just saying this is what it is. This is faith. Jesus sees the faith of the four, not the faith of the sick with the palsy. Isn't that interesting? He sees the faith of the ones that brought the one sick with the palsy. That's incredible. Break open the roof and then drop down this man to the feet of Jesus. That's pretty novel. That's a pretty good, good thing, but it was desperate. It was desperate. And my question for us in this room is, are praying like that? Or are we giving up at the first sign of obstacle? Because I could, I could see me. I mean, because I, I have the propensity to say, oh, well, yeah, this, this project is looking a little too difficult. We may want to, you know, do something different. You know, you got a crowd, then you climb up on top hoping that there's a sunroof, right? That you could just sort of lift open. No sunroof. Okay, guys, it looks like we've gone far enough. Let's just leave them on the roof. Let's just abandon them here. I mean, we've taken them as far as we can. Maybe the vibes from Jesus will go through the roof and take care of them. Instead, no. You can, there's just one character in the four that's like, no, let's keep going. What do you mean keep going? We can't keep going. You've got a roof here. Let's break it up. Break it up? I could just see Eric Ludy in that situation. Whoa, I mean, there's some legal issues here. Break it up. Do you want this guy to the feet of Jesus? Don't you carry the same burden I do, Eric? 
Yeah, let's break up the roof. We need to do this. Oh, all right. Okay, is this your prayer life? Is this how it functions? Breaking up the roof. And when they could not come near unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Prayer, right there. Operation, get this burden to the feet of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever felt a burden for prayer. And I bet you have. You just may never have known that that's what it was. But the way that Christians pray is out of burden. In other words, we, like for instance, let's just think of someone in your life right now that you are really concerned about, that you've been praying for. Why are you praying for them? Well, it's very likely because you have a burden for them. Okay, God will press down in us a concern, an anguish, and all we have to do is have one meditation on the fact that they will be eternally separated from God, and oh, we can't stand that. Where's that coming from? See, a lot of us think that's human. No, that's spiritual. It is a gift of grace to us. We're feeling what God feels, and as a result, what should we pray from? That. And so we have this same thing here. We know what the solution is. It's Jesus. We know he has the answer. We don't. And so we need to pray and bring that one to the feet of Jesus, no matter what it takes. The tile ceiling. So when I think of that roof, whether or not it was a tile roof, okay, I, it could have been a straw roof. I, I don't know. I, I actually haven't studied. Nathan probably knows all about roofs in ancient Israel, technically, I've, I don't know that I've ever thought about it. I know that they were oftentimes stone houses instead of wood houses because they didn't have a lot of wood uh, in Israel. But I don't know what the, the, the ceiling was or the roof was. And so I'm just using my imagination of tile. And if I were to give an accurate description of what it feels like to me, it's that it's multiple layers of tile. That's what it feels like in prayer. It's like you get through one layer of tile and there's another. It's like, God... How desperate are you? How well, desperate enough to at least go through two layers of tile, and then I break open the second one, and then there's a third layer of tile. And I, there's a lot that can discourage you in prayer, a lot that will cause you to give up and relent. However, the question is, have you gotten them to the feet of Jesus yet? And if the answer is no, keep breaking it up. So, have you ever wondered why the American church is so weak if you travel the world and you go to other countries and you lay your hands on someone who's sick it's weird but oftentimes they're healed and you're like whoa what was that what is that in america it's almost like there's this tile ceiling and we're trying to pray now we're switching switching the uh, metaphor here we're inside the house and god's out there with all his miraculous power and we're praying and our our prayers are ding off the ceiling and coming right back down. It's like, hey, what was that? How come my prayers don't seem to be going anywhere? It seems like, doesn't it seem, and this is my, more my question than anything, that there seems to be a tile roof over the American church. Where, for good reason. I mean, the compromise in the American church, the self-satisfaction, the comfort that we have. It's like, hey, we don't need God. Why would I need to pray for my daily bread when I have piles of bread in the, other, in the pantry? need to pray for that. I don't have no dependence on God. I'm an American or a North American or I know some of you. Uh, I'm from Greece. 
see, I'm bringing you in. Uh, and I'm sure that they think the exact same way we do. Uh, so in other words, why do you need God when you don't need God? And so as a result, the fervency is lost. So there's a tile ceiling over the American church. What are you going to do about it? Are you just going to sit by and say, oh, it doesn't matter? You have a burden. You have a burden to see the full manifestation of God in this generation, to see his strength, the power of his right hand once again. You see, if you talk to me, you notice that I'm fine if no one rises from the dead. It doesn't change my faith, right? However, I don't want God to be diminished in any regard. And if people need to rise from the dead to awaken and stir up a dead people group, then so be it. You know, there's been things all throughout the ages, like Elijah bringing down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. It's like, yeah, if that's necessary to have the nation of Israel, who was apostate at the time, go, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then, okay, that's what I want. I want God to show himself as God in this generation. Meanwhile, we have a tile ceiling. What are we going to do about it? So even though it seems like our prayers go ding off some type of ceiling, it's like, they don't seem to be moving God into any great type of work. They're working. Just like when you go through one layer of tile when you're trying to break it up and then there's another, you just have to keep going. The question is, how much do you want it? Famous quote in the Old Testament, give me children or I die. So we have a lost generation out there. We're in America where a lot of people even think they are Christians, would even call themselves Christians, and yet if we were to examine them at any level, we'd go, you don't even know who Jesus is. How in the world, do you, what do you call yourself a Christian? That is so weird. And yet that's the state of affairs that we have. We have a lost generation around us that doesn't even have interest in spiritual matters, or at least in Christianity. And here we are as Christians and we have a burden. What's our burden? That people would come to know Jesus. It's called having children spiritually, if you will. And do we have the same burden that Rachel does? God, I must have children. I must be able to lead people to you. They have to see you or I die. Uh, I kind of like that. So here's the 21st century church. Is this what we're praying? Give us the stuff of old or we die. See, this is what I want to begin to stir inside of us. We have to have something more. Simply put, we cannot settle for what we have right now. We need something more. The agony of barrenness. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's the title of the message. I'm going to call this the beginnings of persistent prayer. You see, back in the day, if a woman was childless, there was no greater shame. The shame of childlessness weighed so heavily down upon a woman. And if you remember all the stories, I mean, you see like Leah and Rachel, and Rachel's barren, and even though Jacob loves Rachel more than poor Leah, don't you feel bad for her? And of course, she's a first, which, poor thing, she's symbolic. Uh, and so we, we have this, this woman who is just desperate. I mean, she is desperate to have children. And all of us in the modern age are just sort of like, settle down, Rachel. It's all right. Okay, it's not that big of a deal. You see, we didn't live back then. We don't understand the shame of barrenness. 
we don't understand that God has promised to bring life to the womb. And so if a woman doesn't have that, then everyone looks at her as if there's something wrong with her. And so as a result, it's like bearing a curse to be barren. And so that's a, that's a big deal, guys, and no one wants that. And so if you are barren, what's going to happen to your life? Well, just think about what's going to stir inside of you. You're going to come to God and say, God, we need to fix something here. God, God, I can't go on like this. God, we must, we must do something, please. I can't fix the problem. I'm barren, but I know you can. Please, give me children or I die. All right, so that's, that's the context of that quote in the first place. So the barren woman is shamed by her fruitlessness and cries out in anguish of soul. Now, I'm going to pause right there. You see, the barren woman, we're thinking Old Testament women, yes. I want you to think of you now. Now, and you're thinking, I'm not a woman, uh, but you could be barren. Are you producing fruit? Are you leading people to Christ? How many people are you leading to Christ? Do you have a big family that's growing up there? In other words, many of us in this room have a desire to lead people to Christ, but aren't leading people to Christ. You see, we're a barren woman. And it says the barren woman is shamed by her fruitlessness and cries out in anguish of soul. God, I can't remain this way. My life needs to be reproducing. It needs to be leading people to you. The barren woman is moved to prayer to cover her shame of fruitlessness, begging God night and day for life to form within her. The barren woman... woman is naturally aided, is supernaturally aided through prayer to bear not a mere human, but a mighty man, a prevailing hero of Israel. This is what's interesting. In the Old Testament account, what you have is there's certain women that just can, you know, have kids and tons of them. And then you have this, this lineage of women that can't. They're all barren. And they all have to pray and 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 what happens? They get a child. And you know that that child is something very, very special? Every time. I'll go through that in just a second. It's pretty amazing. So let's look at this. Sarah. So we start this lineage of faith. You have Abraham and Sarah. Right? So this is the very beginning of this lineage of what we would ultimately know as Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of faith. Right? The very first woman, God chooses Abraham, and it's almost like he's shocked because it's like, whoa, oh no. I picked a man whose wife is barren. That was a dumb idea. I tell him that his descendants are going to be as the sands of the seashore, as the stars in the heavens, but then, oh no, she's barren. Isn't that an irony? Out of all the weird situations to come up with, you have Abraham and his wife through which... All of this grand stuff is supposed to happen, and she can't have kids. Do you think God's caught off guard by that? Or do you think it might be very much on purpose? Why? He starts out the lineage of faith with barrenness. You see, most of us look at this as a terrible, terrible thing. Instead of recognizing what is it going to do, it's going to cause them to have to labor in faith. Some women do not need any faith to have 12 kids. They just can have kids. Some women, they need a whole bunch of faith to have one. 
And that's what you see taking place in this story, is God is giving a test of faith. It's called barrenness. Rebecca. So Sarah has Isaac, right? That's the supernatural child, born of faith, if you want to say it that way, born of promise. So then Isaac marries Rebecca. Do you know who chose Rebecca for Isaac? If you will. That's God. That was God's choosing. God, God, oh, you really blew it on this one. Two times in a row you just picked a barren woman. Why would he do that? Uh-huh. You see, do you see that God has something very much on purpose that he's doing? So, Rebecca, she's barren, and then after Isaac's prayer, she begets twins, Esau and Jacob, also known as Israel. So what we have so far is we had Isaac born, who's, of course, one of the most significant characters in all world history, out of barrenness. Then we have Israel that is born out of barrenness. Okay, I mean, this is like massive stuff is coming out of barrenness, which was then matched with prayer, 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 and then boom, comes a mighty man, Rachel. So now Jacob, you know, he marries Leah. That's a whole little uh, interesting story in and of itself. But then he also marries Rachel. And Rachel, Jacob's wife, is barren. I mean, this is, this is really getting ridiculous, guys. It's almost like God's thinking, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I can't believe this is happening. It's making everything so difficult, isn't it? It's very much on purpose. You see, it's very likely that God will allow certain barrenness to take place in your life. Why? Because it actually sponsors prayer. It sponsors a response. If everything comes easy to you, there's no dependence. If you always have money in the bank and everything goes easy, your health is perfectly fine, eh, you have no need to pray. And so there's nothing quite like a little barrenness in your life to stir you up. And to get you on your knees and to say, God, I can't, I can't live without that. He goes, oh, you can't? What are you going to do about it? I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to grab a hold of you and not let go. Ah, and see, now you're getting it. This is how it works. So Rachel, Jacob's wife, is barren and then begets Joseph, who delivered the nation of Israel. You notice that some rather amazing mighty men are coming out of this barrenness? Same is true in your life. Something mighty and powerful comes out of your life when you walk through a season of barrenness. Manoah's wife was barren, and then she begets Samson, another deliverer of the nation. Hannah was barren, and then has Samuel, a prophet of Israel. Seeing a pattern here? Ruth is barren and widowed, finds mercy, and begets Obed, who beget Jesse, the father of David, of whose line is Jesus Christ. Of course, most of these are a part of the line of Jesus. Elizabeth, who is elderly and unable to bear children after the natural, begets John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said there was no greater prophet born of women. So God will oftentimes walk us through a season where it seems like, though everyone around us has things that seem actually easy for them to get, we don't have them. There's, it seems like we're missing something, and there's something that isn't getting doled out to us. It's like, hey, God, but I can't live without that. It could be a health issue, where everyone else is walking around, they have no appreciation of what health is, and they're just sort of prancing around through life with perfect health and have no clue that there's other people that don't have that health. What, is, what happens to the person that doesn't have the health? Suddenly their prayer life escalates, doesn't it? They're getting a special grace 
Now, that person that might have health might not have any money. And so as a result, they're looking around at these other people. That, if, if you're one of the people that doesn't have money, have you ever had that thought? It's like, these guys have no idea what it's like to not have money. They just sort of prance around and throw dollar bills around. Well, I mean, I don't have anything. Well, what does that cause you to do? It causes you to get a special grace in the arena of finances. And same is true. Some people, they didn't have father. They didn't have mother. They don't have normal relationships. They feel more lonely in life. And these other people have huge families, all these friends, and it just comes so easy to them. But for you, you've always been alone. You have a special grace. And what's it doing? It's cultivating a deeper intimacy within you. It's cultivating prayer, if you will allow it to. It could also harden you. It could turn you into a cynic. But if you allow the grace of God to touch that area, it actually turns you into a man or a woman of prayer. And there's so many things we could poke at with that. But for anyone that has lacked something that seems so normal for everyone else, it's amazing. But it actually stirs within us, or it should stir within us, a yearning for the real thing, for the fullness. Listen to Leonard Ravenhill and Wild Revival Terry's. If shame of childlessness had not subdued these women, what mighty men would have been lost? If shame of childlessness or the difficulties of lack of health or the difficulties of lack of finances, we could go on, had not subdued us, what mighty works of God would have been lost? This is how God works. So the question is, will we embrace it and say, God, though I'd be barren right now, I want to begin to pray that you would give me supernatural life. Genesis 32, this is an incredible picture of prayer. So Leslie and I have a book called Wrestling Prayer, and of course you'll understand where it comes from from this exact story. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And he, Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he, God, said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he, God, said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. So he gets a new name because of this situation. Jacob means heel grabber, supplanter, deceiver. That's what his first name was. And so again, we have twos. We have a first name, and we have a second name of the, of the man Jacob. First name... Well, it's not that impressive, guys. Uh, it's, by the way, we still name our kids Jacob. Why? Because of what it symbolizes. It symbolizes a man that ultimately grabs a hold of God. But Israel is actually quite the name. You see, Jacob had grabbed the heel of Esau on the way out of the womb. He wanted what the first had. He, he, he was trying in the power of his own strength in the flesh to gain the blessing of God. So he's conning Esau, the first, by the way, for you know, his birthright. He's conning Isaac for the blessing. All of these things, he still didn't have what he was looking for because it's not found in Esau or in Isaac. It's found in God. And so finally, he lets go of the heel and grabs a hold of God. And it's the same with us. We can try in our own strength as Jacob, try and try and try to live such a way that models God, that honors God, but in and of ourselves, we can't do it. So what we need to do is grab a hold of God. 
and not let go. See, Jacob had a, had a deep need in his life. He was empty. He was fruitless in his life. He was barren, if you want to say it that way. And finally, instead of complaining about his barrenness and conning people and tricking people, he decided he was going to do it right. He was going to be a man of prevailing prayer. So he grabbed a hold of God and said, I will not let go. So until the breaking of day, he didn't let go. Until God actually relented, if you want to say it that way. This is like the picture of the knock, 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 knock. Yank, 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 yank. Pull, 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 pull. Dig, 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 dig. Persistence. You hold on until the light breaks forth. The answer comes. Until the kingdom of heaven comes to this earth, the realities of answered prayer are there. Then, all right, we'll move on to the next prayer. But until that day, we persist and we persist and we persist. Israel. Israel. That's, that's, that's how you say it. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It means contender, soldier of God, the prevailing power of God, the power of God unto victory. So what we have is a contender. This is the name of all of God's people throughout the ages that grab a hold of God instead of the heel. You grab a hold of God and don't let go, you're persistent, that's Israel. That's what it is. It's Israel. See, some of you are wanting the microphone to try that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> William Booth, you must pray with your might. That does not mean saying your prayers or sitting gazing about in church or chapel with eyes wide open while someone else says them for you. It means fervent, effectual, untiring wrestling with God. It means that grappling with omnipotence, that clinging to him, following him about, so to speak, day and night as the widow did to the unjust judge. With agonizing pleadings and arguments and entreaties until answer comes and the end is gained. This kind of prayer, be sure the devil and the world and your own indolent, unbelieving nature will oppose they will pour water on this flame. They will ply you with suggestions and difficulties. They will ask you how you can expect that the plans and, purpose and purposes and feelings of God can be altered by your prayers. They will talk about impossibilities and predict failures. But if you mean to succeed, you must shut your ears and eyes to all but what God has said and hold him to his own word. And you cannot do this in any sleepy mood. You cannot be a prevailing Israel unless you wrestle as Jacob wrestled regardless of time and aught else, save obtaining the blessings sought. That is, you must pray with your might. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.